Today on am to dm we're celebrating Little Nas X's CMA's win, and then I'm talking to Alfonso Ribeiro and Jerry O'Connell. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford. She's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. And, and today, I am so excited about so today's much show. Happening. Yes, so um, we're having Jeff Garland from Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is coming back. I am so excited for that. Crazy. Then I'm talking to Alfonso Ribeiro and Jerry O'Connell, which that'll be a good time. It's amazing. And I also get to talk to one of my original crushes, Ben McKenzie Ooh. from the OC. Y'all remember that show? Just the biggest show yes. of like our childhood. <laughs> I mean, just the biggest show of our uh. lives. Yes. And then I'm talking to author Alicia Menendez, who has a book called The Likeability Trap, which um, is all about, you know, the perils that women face in the workplace, which is, you know. Wait, women face perils in the workplace? Yeah. I have no um, idea. I would love to tell you about them, but we would be here for like 142 hours. That'd be so. hour two of the show. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> well, here's a tweet from Entertainment Tonight. Lil Nas X had one of the biggest country hits of the year with Old Town Road, and now he's got a CMA Awards win to silence even his harshest critics. Here's a tweet from Yashar. Casey Musgraves, who has been treated like shit by country music radio, winning the CMA Awards for Best Female Vocalist is just delicious. Here's a tweet from New York Magazine. Jennifer Nettles made an important statement with her CMA Awards outfit. And for those of you who are not familiar, the statement that she was making with that was about fair play uh, on the airwaves for women country artists. Um, mm -hmm. I have heard in the past that uh, country music stations will literally play men two to one for women or play like two men songs in a row for every one song shocking. sung by a woman vocalist or woman artist. So were we just talking about how like, oh, it's so shocking, yeah. women face perils in the workplace. Weird. It yeah. seems like it's like a systems problem. I know, right? <laughs> seems like this might be happening everywhere. Well, I know that we were especially excited to see Lil Nas mm -hmm. X win. And I have to say, I agree with that tweet. I feel like uh, it totally means that his haters just gotta shut up. I mean, so. a lot of last night was like eating, like eating your foot because like Casey Musgraves is, you know, won an, a Grammy this year for her album or the last Grammys. Um, and like, she has not been embraced by country music radio because she's too pop or she's too this, she's too accepting, she's too liberal. And they have Lil Nas X who was literally not allowed to be on the charts coming back and being the biggest event of the year for the CMAs mm -hmm. is, you know, just, Chef's kiss. Yes, and when he got the nomination for this category as well, it was historic because he was the first openly gay artist yep. to do so. And so. I would make note, I give credit where credit's due, there has not been huge backlash from the country music community because of him being black or gay that I have seen. Hmm. And he even says it too. So change may, have, may be happening slowly. Slowly. But kind of not really. Yeah, <laughs> well, listen, uh, we could easily keep on talking about Lil yes. Nas X. Forever, another topic we love, but apparently there is something else in the news. Oh, really? Yes, here's a tweet from Aaron Rupar about the stunning revelations during diplomat William Taylor's impeachment hearing testimony. Taylor discloses that his staff overheard a phone call in which Trump asked Sondland about investigations into the Bidens in July. Taylor's staff member says Sondland told them that Trump cares more about the investigations into the Bidens than anything else regarding Ukraine. Joining us now to talk impeaching Trump and all the other tea coming out of Washington, D.C., is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So, Paul, who testified yesterday and what new information do we have now? Yeah, so yesterday was the first day of public hearings in the impeachment inquiry. Uh, we had Bill Taylor, who is basically the top uh, diplomat to Ukraine, uh, George Kent, who is another State Department official. And <clears throat> they laid out from their point of view why they came to believe that the president was demanding a quid pro quo, though they didn't use those words. They essentially said was they came to believe that Trump was demanding a investigation a formal announcement of an investigation by Ukraine into the Biden family before he was going to release aid. Uh, in particular, 
as you said at the top there, uh, we learned something new, which apparently Bill Taylor did not even learn until last Friday, which was that one of his staffers overheard Gordon Sondland, who was an uh, ally to Trump and the ambassador to the EU, uh, talking to Trump apparently loudly enough on the phone that the staffer could hear Trump's side of the conversation. And essentially, he was asking about the Biden investigation. Uh, Sondland told him, yep, yeah, looks like they're going to go ahead with that. And then Sondland told the staffer that, yeah, Trump really wants this Biden thing more than anything else, which is, which is key because one of the Republican defenses here is that this is not about the Biden family. Trump is concerned about corruption in general. And there's a fair amount of evidence that that's not the case, that he was fixated on specifically an investigation into Joe Biden's family. Yeah, so Sondland's hearing uh, uh, is uh, scheduled for next week. Um, so why is this call going to be so important then? Well, it, it's huge in some ways. Though, much of the entire inquiry hinges on Sondland because while the people who testified yesterday are extremely credible, even Republicans would not attack their credibility, what they have said is while they are credible as people, they are not credible as witnesses because they are getting everything secondhand. Neither of them, them actually spoke to Trump. Uh, neither of them witnessed any of this. They're not on the call. Whereas Sondland, Gordon Sondland was and has spoken to Trump, and much of how they came to their conclusions was through talking to Sondland. Now, he is a Trump ally. He's a mega donor to Donald Trump. However, he also has shown in the past that he is nervous about uh, being held in contempt. He has updated his testimony after saying, look, there's no quid pro quo, later revised his official statement saying, well, actually, I told the Ukrainians that they're going to want to look into Joe Biden if they want to get their aid. So his testimony is going to be fascinating. Mm, and how are Republicans responding to the news of the second call and the impending testimony? I mean, Republicans have essentially done everything they can to uh, dismiss these hearings entirely. They've continued to say that this is all hearsay, that there is no direct evidence against the president, um, and a lot of muddying of the water, saying it's his third, fourth, fifth, sixth hand, which is not actually the case in, in a situation like this. Uh, but no, they, they have not been budged at all. Mm, all right. Well, here's a tweet from NBC News. Analysis. The first two witnesses called Wednesday testified to President Trump's scheme, but lacked the pizzazz necessary to capture public attention. Paul, why was the tweet ratioed so hard today? <laughs> I mean, I think they were trying to do sort of a bit of punditry. And, and, and at a certain point, it is fair to say, you know, this was not a, a jazzy day of testimony. You had two very uh, buttoned up both literally and figuratively witnesses. And uh, it was, you know, didn't have a lot of sex appeal. However, uh, no, no offense to the witnesses who were both very happy. Uh, but, but at a certain point, the reason, you know, reporting is not just about saying, ah, this is boring. I mean, it's inherent in our jobs that if something is important to try to make people interested in it. And also, I think it's worth noting that this whole boring narrative, it's not exactly organic. This is immediately coming out from Republicans. It was coming out during the hearing from uh, President Trump's allies, you know, on Twitter. And I can tell you because I was in the room in person. Um, you know, that that is a narrative that is being pushed. And the you know, media has to be careful about buying into these things that are, that are very politically motivated. Yeah, so you talk about uh, these politically motivated narratives. Of course, the one that we saw from Republicans was that it was just so uh, boring. You know, how did that so quickly take hold? Yeah, and I mean, that is not organic. You know, it, this is something that was really being driven even in the moment. Mark Meadows, who is a, a staunch defender of President Trump, uh, as soon as, you know, there was even a recess, was coming out being like, ah, there's nothing to see here. People are people are yawning and falling asleep here, which, I mean, I did not witness that. I cannot speak to what Mr. Meadows witnessed. I did not witness anyone yawning or falling asleep in the hearing room. Um, but, I mean, it is another, you know, attempt to uh, not only 
downplay the contents of the investigation, but to present the point of view that this hearing is going nowhere and Schiff, Adam Schiff is just uh, is wasting everyone's time. Mm. So, Paul, how are conspiracy theories seeping into the questioning of officials, and what do those theories tell us about the information Democrats and Republicans are getting independently? I mean, many Democrats and Republicans are on completely different worlds right now. Uh, we had one person in our Slack yesterday who was following the impeachment hearings and saying, like, I can't believe how much of this is coming from internet conspiracies. And that's but really where we're at right now is a good chunk in particular of Republicans uh, believe completely unfounded conspiracy theories into the Biden family. And that has seeped its way into the actual hearings where you've got, <clears throat> you know, people asking about uh, Burisma Holdings in particular, and then these theories that Joe Biden got involved to to uh, shield his son, and and even more in depth, they got into this idea that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 presidential election to try to get Hillary Clinton elected, uh, and it's challenging because you know it, it takes time to debunk all of these things and to you know talk to Craig Silverman about this. You know, when you, breaking things down is a lot harder than just throwing something out there, and we've seen with Republicans just throwing these conspiracy theories out there over and over and over and over, and uh, it seems to be effective. It seems like a lot of people are starting to believe them. So what should we be looking out for in tomorrow's hearings? I mean, tomorrow's going to be fascinating. Um, uh, uh, former uh, diplomat to Ukraine, Maria Yovanovitch, is going to be testifying. She's the one who uh, was basically forced out because Rudy Giuliani saw her as an enemy and uh, started a smear campaign against her, had her kicked out of office. And for, you know, for people who want some uh, drama, there's some stuff... Uh, in her story that is kind of lifted from a Le Carre novel of, you know, her getting calls from people in the State Department saying, you need to get on the first plane, out, first plane in the morning out of Ukraine. We're worried about your safety. You've got to get out there. So, you know, that should be, uh, that should be pretty gripping. Hmm. Well, before we move on, let's take it to the timeline. What did you think of day one of the televised impeachment hearings? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm And now on to some other stories. Here's a tweet from the New York Times. President Erdogan of Turkey said he returned a letter sent to him last month by President Trump that had urged him not to be a tough guy or a fool as he embarked on the offensive in northern Syria. Ooh, that jogged my memory. Um, <laughs> Paul, why did Trump meet with Erdogan at the White House? Yeah, so this was a meeting between Trump and Erdogan, and also that there were five, I believe, uh, Republican senators who were also there, and trying to talk uh, the Turkish president out of uh, buying into a Russian missile system. Uh, basically, the U.S. and Russia have been fighting over, you know, sign up uh, for our military program rather than the other sides, and uh, Turkey has so far uh, not been really playing ball with America. Mm, all right. Well, Paul, here's a tweet from Axios. An Oval Office meeting yesterday with Turkey's Erdogan took a dark turn when he pulled out his iPad and made President Trump and a group of GOP senators watch a propaganda video that depicted Kurds as terrorists. So, Paul, what do we know about this propaganda video so far and what senators watched it? Yeah, so the video seemed to uh, focus on a, uh, a certain bombing that was conducted by a, a Kurdish military leader. I mean, essentially, it was... Uh, sort of a slight hand of trying to uh, lump all Kurds into one group and then comparing that group to ISIS. I mean, apparently there was a, a fairly direct connection to saying, you know, how are they any different than ISIS? Uh, did not go over well in the room, of course. Uh, people like Lindsey Graham, who are, you know, very strong allies to the Kurds, advocates for the Kurds, uh, immediately pushing back and saying, this is nonsense, you know, maybe we should go uh, talk to the Kurds and see what, the, what, what videos they have of what you've done. It didn't seem to sway anyone in the room. 
Mm, all right, well, here's a tweet from Deval Patrick. In a spirit of profound gratitude for all the country has given to me with a determination to build a better, more sustainable, more inclusive American dream for everyone, I'm today announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Paul, what does his late entrance mean for him as a candidate and this already crowded field? I, it shows that people still think this is a winnable race. I mean, we saw this with Bloomberg getting into the race, too, that even though we're getting closer and closer to primary season, apparently people who are on the outside are looking at this field and saying, I can beat these people. And uh, so now we've got Patrick coming in. Now, it should not be understated how difficult it is to run a presidential campaign, even when you're starting with plenty of, of uh, headway. Uh, and to join late is... I mean, you've got, think about all of the machines and the, the staffers and the volunteers that these other campaigns already have set up, and you're basically starting from scratch. Even if you're a accomplished and well-known uh, politician, as Patrick is, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a real handicap. And we're already seeing talk that he might actually just skip uh, Iowa altogether, just get into the race at New Hampshire, and try to sort of get a bit of a, a late start and take off from there. Still feels like there are like 116 Democrats running. There are field, though. So. <laughs> there are a bunch. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. All right, great talking with you. Cheers. Cheers. Well, later on, Alex sits down with Jerry O'Connell and Alfonso Rivero. But up next, inspired tweets with Jeff Garland. <laughs> Take it. What? Do it. It's yours take, now. Take what? Take the intro. No, do you want to read do, it? No, you do it. Okay. Welcome back. back. I... Welcome I'm back. back. <laughs> Who are you joined by? I'm joined by you, actor Jeff Garland, also a comedian. Yes. You play Murray in The Goldbergs yes. and Jeff in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. You have a new Netflix special, Our Man of Chicago. It's available now. Did I get that right? You completely did. Good. Yes. Well, welcome. I'm glad Thank to have you. you here. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, so we're going to read some fire tweets. I don't know what that means. You don't know what that means? Basically, but I'm ready for a fire tweet. Let's okay. fire tweet Okay, great. Up. So I'm going to read the you first You know, one. I don't have a Twitter account. I know you don't have a Twitter account. Do you know why I don't have a Twitter account? There's someone pretending to be me. It's not me. I don't have a Twitter account because I thought, I had a lot of followers, and I thought, how long until I say something that they go, <laughs> what were you thinking? I mean. That's what Twitter's about. At least on Instagram, I have to take time to put a picture up <laughs> so it stops me from saying anything stupid. That is a very wise, yeah, calculated, you know, calculated choice. If you enjoy Twitter, I say enjoy it. I'm not against it. Just not for me. All right, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. But these are fire tweets. These are fire tweets. Okay, All right, let's so, fire it up. Jeff Moore, you tweeted, 18-year-old me eating three Krispy Kreme-filled, three cream-filled Krispy Kreme donuts at 10.30 at night. Let's go back and get six more. 36-year-old me eating three cream-filled Krispy Kreme donuts at 10.30 at night. I've made a huge mistake. I heard that you ate a lot of donuts at on Robocop. Yeah, but I have back? no idea what that went to you. <laughs> you could have just said that question to me without that horrible tweet. What, did someone write that? Yeah, that was supposed to be a fire tweet. I don't know what that means. What does fire tweet mean? A fi fire tweet means it's like a funny tweet. It's exciting. That was not, neither funny nor exciting. All right. Although I got excited with the donut part of okay. it. Okay. And by the way, you haven't made a huge mistake. If you're young, eat a lot of donuts. Okay. You know, know, now is the time. If you're under 30, now is the time for donuts. <laughs> when I was in, what you were asking me about on RoboCop 3, I played a donut guy, you know, and uh, I ate donuts while we were filming. And by the end of the night, I had eaten 36 donuts. But 
you know, if I was in my 30s or 40s and I told that story, it's a tragedy. In my 20s, it it's was, cool. yeah, I smoked some weed after I felt good. <laughs> you know, I feel like you should smoke weed before eating 36 donuts. Well, I didn't know. Okay. And by the way, I had never smoked weed, smoked weed before. Uh, one of the, my, the other actors, because I was so nauseous, gave me some. I fell asleep for 12 hours and then woke up and went out for fried chicken. That sounds delightful. We were filming in Atlanta, where they had a lot of donuts and a lot of fried chicken. Uh, All right, so you're going to read this tweet. You're going to hit the button and then read from that Okay, Okay, here we go. Okay, all right. So, Dirk Diggler. Wasn't that a character in a movie? Porn guy. All right, middle schoolers are terrifying because they haven't even discovered empathy yet. Just a bunch of psychopaths struggling to learn lawn division. Now, here's, uh, uh, what's the, the, so they're telling me that young people are stupid? Is that what this person is? Well, middle schoolers in particular are are extra wild. They're horrifying. Yeah. But uh, I was one once and and I enjoyed that, you know? Yeah. And so, and by the way, empathy for a person like that, they have to be present and take their time. So you may think they don't have empathy. I think they do. They're just not paying attention. Huh. Yeah. Because we they're not a bunch of cold, you know, They're youths, you know. They're youths. They're youths. Yeah. Yes, they're yeah. youths. All right, I'm going to read the next one. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna, hold on a second. If you didn't do that, would it still happen? I, you'll have to try. Hold on. Hello? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm on the air. I have to go. Okay. All right, so go ahead. Here's a fire tweet. Okay, Steph, you tweeted, me getting off the couch. I'll be right back, dog. I would really feel more comfortable if we went together. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, That's a fire tweet. I have no idea. By the way, (laughs) I love dogs. Big on dogs. You post photos of your dog, right? Yeah, Yeah, yes. My dog, uh, my dog is the dog from the Goldbergs. That's my real life dog. Oh, no way. Yes. All right. Yes, yes. So, um, and she, wherever I go, wants to be with me. So she goes in here. But you know what's really funny? If I go in the bathroom, she gives me privacy. That is Not all dogs do that. Some dogs want to go the whole way. This one goes, oh, you're going in there? We're good. All right. Okay, this is the last tweet. We're both going to hit the button together, and then you'll read it. Okay? One... Two, three. Someone just came up. Do what I say. That's all I know. I'm just yes, waiting. okay, now read this. Imagine find out. Oh, oh. I'll read it from here or here? You can read it from here. Okay. Imagine falling in love with someone and finding out they don't like curb your enthusiasm. Well, here's the thing. How did you not know they didn't have a sense of humor before you went on some dates? People make bad choices. Well, I say get out now. That's a big sign. You don't want two or three years later when it gets really, really bad to go, I should have done it <laughs> when I found out you didn't like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. Well, that's something. I let, that, that's a fire that, tweet. That was a fire tweet. That, that tweet was, was on fire. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Um, curb Are your fire exam- questions? Yes, Are fire. Well, we'll, we'll see. Ice questions? All right, let's Please, go. Maybe they're fire questions. Um, right. So Curb Your Enthusiasm is, of course, coming back. Yes, Can you tell us anything January. about where it's picking up? It's picking up where uh, Larry and my character are living in Los Angeles. I can't, there's nothing, that's just, it's funny. I will tell you this, it's my favorite season we've ever done. Really? Yep. And the premise of it, I can't, I don't want, I don't want to spoil it, but the premise is something everybody's felt. Okay. 
Everybody could have felt a great it. many things. No, so. but uh, it's like something would happen to you and you'd go, I wish. And Larry David does. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited. Do you have a yeah. favorite episode from the original run of the yes, series? Yes, yes. Uh, it's called Wandering Bear. It's where uh, Cheryl, Larry's wife, is having some problems with her vagina, and she turns to uh, Larry's gardener, Wandering Bear, and Larry and I are watching a show called Girls Gone Wild, <laughs> and we're kind of obsessed with it. That's my favorite That's episode. That's your favorite episode. Yeah. Um, now, I... I found out that you actually had it put in your contract for the Goldbergs that you would be able to leave to do Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, what it was, was I, uh, Curb was on a hiatus. I didn't know if we were coming back or not, but I thought we might. And then I get the offer for the Goldbergs and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. But if Curb comes up, I got to be free to do that too. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's the thing. Generally, they don't approve that stuff, but a lot of, of the, uh, the business affairs departments of studios, they're fans of Curb. They didn't want to be the ones to stop it. Oh, I was lucky I was no. on a show that they wanted to see. That helped me. Yeah, well, you also have a new comedy special, Our Man in Chicago. Our Man in Chicago. What were you excited to talk about in the special? What, 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 what was were you excited I, to talk about, yeah. Was I excited to talk about on the special? Yeah, on the special. Anything that would make the audience laugh <laughs> and have a good time. That brought me excitement. No, here's what it is. I, for people who don't know, when I do stand-up, I improvise. Yeah. I literally will go up with nothing. Hold on, I want to get a shot here. Okay. I will go up with nothing and, uh, beautiful. I will go up, <laughs> go up with nothing and do that for an hour. Now, Netflix says, we want you to do an hour. You can't just be, yeah, I'm not cocky. I'm very confident. But I also know that that is too much of a risk in that situation. Mm -hmm. So I worked for three years on the material, having a beginning, a middle, and an end. I filmed two uh, shows in one night. First show, I nailed it. Mm -hmm. Second show, I improvised mm -hmm. and went nuts. And that's what the special is. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so yeah. I was able to do what I do. All right, well, unfortunately, we are out of time. No, it's fortunate. You know why? <laughs> I, have, I have other interviews today, so it's good. If I was stuck here, I'd miss all my interviews, but I'd be with you, and you're lovely. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, oh, there's the, me. there it, it is. is. There yeah. it is, yes. Yeah. Well, Jeff Garland's Our Man in Chicago is available now on Netflix and later. Right now. Right now. Who are you sitting down with later? Jerry O'Connell? Yeah. Jerry O'Connell! He was in Curb. He was on Curb. Yeah. I love Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. And Alfonso Ribeiro. But and Alfonso Ribeiro, who I'm not as fond of as Jerry. Okay. I think Jerry's got a, a bounce in his step. Alfonso, he's a little bit... You, 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 just trust me. Okay. Don't make out with him at a party. Okay. Um, I have now noted that for our interview. But up next, we're going live from the district. <laughs> Welcome back. We're now going live from the district with BuzzFeed News congressional reporter Kadia Goba. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Kadia. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Representative Peter King, who announced his retirement this week, railed against partisanship in an interview before the impeachment hearing. But he also defended a series of anti-Muslim hearings he held during his career. Now, Kadia, in this story, you write about how two decades ago, King broke with the Republican Party line to vote against impeaching President Bill Clinton, and he'll vote no on impeachment again, uh, of course, this time against uh, President Trump. So why did you want to talk to him about retirement? Yeah, so politicians are always on message, right? So I figured if I talked to someone who didn't have as much to lose, um, who wasn't coming back to Congress, they would be a little more frank about what this middle of the road or 
a moderate Republican. What's the future for a moderate Republican? Uh, King's district is in Long Island, on Long Island, and it, it's pretty moderate. He faced a very competitive Democratic opponent last year, and um, came within about she came within about fifteen thousand votes. And I wanted to see if he thought in his very partisan era, if he thought there was any room for a Republican like him going forward. Interesting, interesting. Well, what did he tell you about his decision to vote no on impeaching Donald Trump? So he, and he's been telling everybody this, that he, it is because his daughter was, uh, has been, she was sick recently and she moved um, to North Carolina and he wanted to just spend more time with his family um, and his grandchildren. However, throughout our hour long interview, he did bring up several occasions, several occasions on several occasions that he is, um, you know, concerned about how partisan everything is and possibly have facing a challenger in um, a primary challenger that might um, give him a, give him a run for his money. Mm. Well, here's a tweet from Sarah Mims. Asked about the anti-Muslim hearings he held, Representative Pete King says, I stand by everything I said and did, and brings up Ilhan Omar attacking him, saying, what I said is that there were too many mosques in America that weren't cooperating with law enforcement. So what have been his most controversial moments, Kadia? So that was probably one of them. Um, it was about a, a decade after 9-11. This is a district, he represents a district that has a big... Uh, uh, police force. Um, uh, res there's a, there are a lot of police, uh, NYPD um, uh, members who live in on Long Island, and um, people were. He got a lot of backlash um, on these hearings, and they called it um, anti-Muslim at the time. Again, this was a decade after 9/11, and his approach was or his response to the criticism was that, you know, we I just wanted to make sure this never happened again. He even sort of criticized the new chairman of the of Homeland Security, the Committee on Homeland Security, and said um, that he would prefer that he maybe veered towards um, uh, addressing more issues around um, terrorism. So, uh, you know, he, uh, despite the backlash, uh, he clearly uh, stands by what he said. Um, so what was the reaction to actually your story and him saying that he stands by all this? I didn't get a lot of feedback from Matt. What I did hear is uh, I got a lot of reaction of, about this, that rubber ball and, <laughs> and a lot of people... Um, they kind of dug in saying that that was, you know, a waste of taxpayers' money. I thought it was fun. I, 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 Kennedy, Rep. Kennedy, who's in the office right next door to him, a Democrat, he, I just checked, he has a similar ball, not as large as Rep. King's ball, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun. So I didn't hear a lot of um, going back. I think, I think people responded to that during his initial, well, actually, when Senator Chuck Schumer um, sent him this kind of endearing tweet that said, or sent out an endearing tweet, just kind of, you know, acknowledging his accomplishments throughout his 28-year tenure. And people kind of, they kind of, I, I felt like the Muslim backlash was there more. Mm, interesting. Well, Kadia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much.
I'm sitting down with Jerry O'Connell and Alfonso Rivero. Here's a tweet from Allison Weeby. Friend, what are you going to make for Thanksgiving? Me, probably a scene. Well, I'm joined now by Jerry O'Connell and Alfonso Ribeiro, two icons for adepts both at making dinner and scenes. There you go. Very yes. welcome. Yes, we will make a scene. We will make a scene right now. A, a, a very important scene. <laughs> please do, please do. Well, listen, um, y'all have teamed up for the Love at First Bite campaign. So yes. what made you want to lend your support to this? Well, uh, I, I mean, first of all, like, Thanksgiving for me happens to be a like my favorite holiday because I love good eating and and like who, yeah, doesn't, who doesn't right, right. and uh, the idea that they want to make uh, cooking Thanksgiving dinner easier for everyone was something that I'm like that sounds great because I'm yeah. also the person who does a lot of the cooking mm. for Thanksgiving like I do the turkey and I do some of the sides so like a way to have sides that are made with real ingredients that you can just pop in the microwave and actually like have a great meal in addition to your turkey during Thanksgiving was something I was like, that's gonna be awesome. And, <laughs> and I get to work with him. Bob, Bob, Evans, <laughs> came, work with Bob Evans came to me and said, um, we would like to work with you and do some commercials and stuff. And I said, I can't cook. And they went, well, that's good because you're just going to be going to the refrigerator <laughs> yeah. pulling out some mac and cheese and sides and, and whatever. Yes. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's me. Yeah. But it's Perfect. been a joy working with him. We did some really funny spots. Where yeah, we it's been great. Ran through a supermarket, grabbing as much Bob Evans as we could. It's been a lot of fun. So did you guys know each other before doing this together? We've met, obviously. Yeah. I, obviously, like, in this business, you know everyone that has been around as long sure, as we've been sure. around. So yeah. through the years, we met socially. Met. I have to say, yeah. um, Alfonso has really inspired me. He's really? like a real, yeah, I got to say. He bought this watch after me. I, he, Al Alfonso, <laughs> yeah. when we were doing the Bob Evans commercials, they're hilarious. <laughs> Go to the website, uh, check them out. Um, Alfonso had this amazing wristwatch, and I was... I had never really had like a nice wristwatch. And then before we came to talk Bob Evans today, I was like, I'm gonna buy a wristwatch. I mean, listen, mine is a moderately priced with okay. wristwatch, but his well, is like my, really mine, nice. mine was really moderate priced because it was free. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the best a, kind um, of accessory. It was a wonderful gift by Omega, so I, yes. I, I do wanna say, um, he's a great family man, and he has really good advice, you know, I mean, uh, uh, he, he just has great advice. I really, I, I value him as a friend. I, we, I really we've, do. We've Aww. really, like during the shooting, we were like, we spent a lot of, obviously, you know, you're shooting these commercials and you're together, but we really connected and <laughs> talked about life and family yeah. and just things to make your life better. And we both shared a lot of like our experiences with each other and it just really made shooting it that much. I, I think it's why greater. Bob Evans called us. I mean, we're, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but I mean, we're like, Family guys, yeah. you know, he's got a little baby at home, super cute. Follow him on TikTok, his kid's adorable. Well, mentioning, I mean, you guys being family guys, um, who does most of the cooking in your own home? You mentioned that you at Thanksgiving, yes. you chip in. Yes. I, yeah, my my, my house, it's like Downton Abbey. There's like people who cook for us and everything. <laughs> they come from downstairs and they come upstairs and there's all kinds of crazy relationships happening. That sounds like happening. the dream. Sir, would yeah. you like your turkey? <laughs> That's right. That's me. That's my life. Uh, mostly, for me, it's mostly just the like thanks, I, the holidays, the big meals. Yeah. Like on an everyday basis, my wife does most of the cooking. But um, when we do the holidays, like I will do, I'm the turkey man. Got so it. I cook the turkey. I got. And there must we, be that anointed person yeah, in every and that household. Is me. It helps. Yes. I do it differently, but it's the best. I'm really good at it. Yeah. Well, if I may say so. Yeah. Well, I mean, even <laughs> thinking about um, your home life, Jerry, you recently posted this 
absolutely hilarious video of yes. making your kids listen to Prince. Right. Have they had this reaction to any other music? <laughs> um, you know what's funny is um, so funny. it just came on the radio and um, my kids were like, turn it off. And it, I became very angry and <laughs> I wanted to film it. I was going to film it to send it to my wife. And then I showed it to my wife afterwards and I went, can you believe they're disrespecting Prince th this much? And my wife said, post it. And I did, and um, a lot of people agree with me. It's yeah. really funny. It is hilarious. I, really I was funny. thinking of doing a follow-up where they're singing the lyrics yeah, to the yeah, song. That would be great. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to get them to do that. Right. Yeah. You got to do. You got to post that one. Well, I want to talk about some of the other work that you guys are both doing. And Alfonso, you're back uh, hosting Catch Twenty One, and yes. um, on the Game Show Network, and you mm -hmm. actually reunited with your Dancing uh, with the Stars pro Whitney. So Absolutely. What was that like? It was great. Um, you know, uh, it's obviously a reboot of a show that I did um, almost a decade ago, and. Uh, they came to me and said, we'd like to bring this back. I was like, that's great, because I love the game. I never understood why it went off the mm -hmm. air the, the first time anyway. Um, and they, they said, well, we're, we're thinking of replacing um, the, the dealer. And we're thinking Whitney. And I went, hold on, and got on the phone immediately and said, <laughs> Whitney, you're going to get this call. You need to do this. This is going to be great. We'll have a great time shooting it. We shot it in Vegas. And, you know, Whitney is family, like real family for me. Um, yeah. You know, when you spend, it's one of the things about Dancing with the Stars, when you spend that much time with someone going through the ups and the downs and the hard and the great times, and it's like you build this connection. And she is, you know, she's my, my little wit. I just mm. love her to death. And so we had a great time shooting this. And, um, and it's doing really well on Game Show Network. So, you know, fingers crossed it'll come back and we'll shoot some more and um, go back out there and do it. And, you know, it's the, the Dancing with the Stars family is like real family for us because our Thanksgiving, we do a Friendsgiving where mm. we invite all the dancers that don't have wow. a place to go for Thanksgiving to our house yeah. so that they have, they feel like it's a, it's it's home, the holiday is there. It's also, you know, if you're, like some of them are from England and from oh. um, Australia and South Africa and, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, well, just come to our house. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, th we there's a, such a great connection from that show, mm -hmm. um, but Whitney is always the number one, of course. Have you been watching the season and what do you make of this controversy around Sean Spicer being on the cast? Well, you know, it was, it was, it was yeah, um, the, <laughs> <laughs> the reality was um, I agreed with Tom Bergeron that at this point, politically charged, you know, contestants don't need to be mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, but I also believe that Sean did a great job of keeping it. It was just family, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 he didn't, it wasn't politically based. Um, obviously, you know, he went much further mm. than his dancing ability mm. um, uh, allowed him to, to get to because of, of his fan base. Mm -hmm. um, I think when the president, you know, tweets out, you know, to his 65 million followers, mm -hmm. keep this guy on, he's going to get some votes. Sure. Um, and, he, and he did. But, um, but I thought he did a great job. He was really, really wonderful. Um, he, he took it all in a, in a really wonderful way. So... Um, I'm very proud of him, and, and I and I went to the show and got to, to hang out with him a little bit and see him, and he he was a wonderful man. Spicer was the Sanjaya of Dancing with the Stars this year. <laughs> well, Jerry, actually, Sanjaya Spicer. I mean, that really jogs my memory of to other TV moments and such. So, yes. um, Well, it, it was actually it was just announced that you'll be returning to Broadway oh, yeah. uh, in the Soldier's Play. So, how are you preparing for that? Um, it's uh, we're starting to, we're starting rehearsals next. Next week, it's um, 
It's it's a really powerful play. It stars David Allen Greer, Blair Underwood. It's uh, about uh, race relations in the army in the uh, early 1940s. And it's uh, really powerful. It's a great play. I hope everyone comes and sees it when it opens January 21st. Mm. If I'm back here, I'm coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, he's a he's a Broadway legend right here. Al Alfonso was a tap dance kid. He was you're a legend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I you, had a show. You are indeed a legend, and uh, I have to say, Will Smith is developing a Fresh Prince spinoff. You've said that you couldn't imagine doing it without James Avery. Right. Um, what do you hope to see from the spinoff? Are you have you been involved? In I'm not involved in in whatever that is that is being reported. Uh, I don't really have anything that I you know mm. can add to that to whatever the, the rumorville is. Um, but I've, I've always said a, a spinoff to me just doesn't work. It doesn't, mm. it just, you know, they can maybe do a reboot or, or but, but, uh, but doing an actual, um, you know, reboot of that show just doesn't, it doesn't work without James Avery. James mm. Avery was the, was the key to Will and Carlton doing mm. um, what, what we were able to do. Um, so, you know, if, if he's doing it, good luck. I hope it, I hope it works out. And, um, but I, but there's no, there's nothing better than the original. Mm. Well, before we go, we have been talking about Thanksgiving, so I mm -hmm. want to play a little "Would You Rather" Thanksgiving edition. Okay. So I'm going to read yes. out a Let's couple different it. scenarios for you guys. All okay. right. So the first one is: Would you rather be trapped in a political argument with a family member or be stuck at the kids' table? I would absolutely rather be at the kids' table because <laughs> <laughs> we we get into those political <laughs> yeah. arguments in my house. Uh, you know, but but I would rather not be into those arguments. Uh, I mean, this is like the easiest question ever. Of course, the kids. <laughs> the kids. Table. Yeah, the kids all right. Political arguments. Yes. You crazy? Right. <laughs> would you rather do one of those Thanksgiving morning 5K runs or have to eat dry turkey and lie about how good it is? I'm doing the 5K. Really? I'm doing the 5K. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like dry turkey? Dry turkey? No, no. no. That, that I cook the turkey. Because I cook it upside down in a bag so that it stays moist, huh. right? Then you flip it back over, you brown the skin out, and it still looks like a regular turkey. But all of the juices flow down into the breast, so it's moist. Mm. Like, I am not going to do dry turkey. Dry <laughs> turkey in a I'm about to do the, the, sure. You're not going to do the dry turkey. Um, no one cares about the turkey. It's all about the Bob Evans sides anyway. So. Oh, I mean, wait, wait. See what I do Spokesman. there? Okay, that's Spokesman. what we do. That's My last we one do. for you is: Would you rather watch a real Housewives marathon oh. or football? <laughs> I mean, we are men. <laughs> yeah. So, Real Housewives real marathon. Housewives, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to BravoCon this weekend. I can't wait. Uh, I am so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, what are you excited I'm, to football. see? You know what? I'm going in cosplay. I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to have a special thing. I'm going in cosplay. I'm going to walk the floor as a, hopefully a real housewife. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, just a famous character in the, in the world. Okay. I'll be posting. All right, all right. I, but I, uh, listen, enough about BravoCon. We're here to talk yes. about That's, Bob yes, Evans. Yes. yes, Bob Evans. Like, make make your holiday meals easier. Thanksgiving. Go the to your April. fridge section. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy. It, it, it's, it's made with real ingredients, so you can actually make it like you made it yourself. I don't cook. And I tell everyone I made it from scratch. They all believe me because Bob. That's how delicious all Bob right. Evans. That's right. Is. Well, listen, right. it has Homemade. been so much fun talking to you guys. So thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you. Thanks and for having us. Up next, Zach is talking to Ben McKenzie about Line of Duty. Welcome back. Our next, next guest played the lovable bad boy Ryan on The O.C., the detective Jim Gordon on Gotham, and now he's back, this time in Line of Duty as the vengeful villain. Welcome, Ben McKenzie. Good morning. 
Good morning. How are you? Good. Nice to be. Nice to have you. And thank you for guys. It's nice to be here. I'm just really nervous. Jerry O'Connell is going to take my job because he was really. That was very entertaining. I have to say. He was having so much fun. Well, we have our own fun to have because you have a great new film out. Thank you. But it's a twist for you. You're playing a villain. What drew you to this role? Uh, I wanted to be bad. Everyone <laughs> wants to be bad every once in a while. I've been, uh, you know, playing an awful lot of good guys. It was fun to um, shoot some guns and punch some people in the face. Aaron Eckhart is the uh, the hero of this year flick, and mm -hmm. I am uh, I'm the bad guy trying to kill him. Which is surprising because I have been used to seeing you be like the lovable guy that we all are cheering for. This role, we're not cheering as much for you. And I hear that Aaron hit you in your face a lot. You tweeted about it recently and said, I had a great time getting punched in the face by Aaron Eckhart. It's true. Many, many times. It's true. He didn't do it, you know, with any malevolence. He was uh, just trying to do his job. He's really he takes it very it. serious. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a very serious guy. He's a very fit guy. And uh, quite frankly, it was hard to keep up. <laughs> well, how was your training to get into this role? It seems quite physical. You're like rolling, turning, shooting, doing everything, getting hit. What what was the prep like? Uh, it was great. We got a little bit of time to do uh, some stunt rehearsals. I had my my stunt guy who doubles me on Gotham down there. Um, yeah, there there's some pretty crazy stuff. Cars blowing mm -hmm. up, lots of guns being shot, lots of fighting. There's a helicopter sequence, a fight on a helicopter. There's a lot going on. That sounds frightening. Are, are you good at flying in helicopters? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I love my stunt guy. Do some of that. I did, I did some of that. No, we did it. We did. It. We actually had a real helicopter um, dangling off of a um, off a crane about thirty feet in the air above some some padding. Obviously, there was padding mm. underneath. But um, it, we did some of our own stunts. It was fun. Amazing. Well, you mentioned Gotham, and you wrote a few episodes and directed a few yep. uh, during that during your time there. And is that something you're looking to do in the future? With yes. Projects? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, I've got a few things that I'm working on and trying to trying to um, get behind the camera a little bit more. Nice, nice. You recently, though, were on the stage. You were playing, I think, Michael Flynn in the Robert Mueller right. uh, <laughs> readings, which your uncle wrote. Yes, What right. drew you to that role? Because I'm seeing a lot of changes. I mean, he is a bad guy, too. Maybe not a villain yet, totally. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, I got to read Michael Flynn and Donald Trump Jr. Oh. Uh, yeah, which had the best line of the whole, the whole thing. What yeah. was the line? Uh, I love it. Uh, it I. If it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. The uh, email to uh, to the crazy Russian promoter guy, Rob Goldstone, about, mm -hmm. um, about the emails. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, we did the Mueller Report uh, reading. Um, John Lithgow, Annette Bening, mm -hmm. um, uh, Kevin Klein. It was an incredible cast, and, uh, and it was really a wonderful thing to participate in. And the cast has huge stars in it. John was here the other day talking with mm -hmm. us, too, and he did some readings of his poetry. Um, but why was it important for you all celebrities to get behind this story and make sure it got out there? Well, we were, I think we were all a little bit worried of that it was going to get lost in the shuffle. It's a 445-page report, mm -hmm. and um, my uncle, actually, um, it was the guy that, that wrote the condensed version, uh, condensed it to you know a 45-minute, hour-long thing that people could watch as opposed to trying to sit yeah. through 445 <laughs> pages, um, and just sort of get the, the greatest hits of mm -hmm. the report, as it were. And um, I think it's just a sort of, it was done as somewhat of a public, public service uh, that it will live on uh, forever online, and yes. if people so choose, they can uh, sit and watch it and, um, you know, have some popcorn and understand how our democracy is falling apart. Yep, and get joy from that breaking of the democracy. It'll be great. Well, uh, democracy is having a big day today. We have a new Democratic runner, Deval Patrick, the former Massachusetts governor. What are you thinking about this really wide Democratic primary, and are, who are you kind of rooting for? 
Uh, you know, I don't actually have a dog in the fight quite yet. Oh. I'm actually in favor of the democratic process playing out. Um, I think it's good to have a lot of candidates. I don't mm -hmm. think that's something to be worried about, certainly at this stage of the game. Um, you know, I think there's a certain um, sort of natural uh, process that should play out. Voters should get to decide, should get to do their homework. Um, it's interesting that the governor is entering at this late stage. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, like all of them, I wish them luck. Yes, and it's, he has the right to do so, as you said, of democratic process. Of course. Uh, so before I let you go, we have to talk about your Broadway debut. Congratulations. Thank You're going to be in Best Wall's Grand Horizons. Yes. What are you looking forward to most being on the stage? It's, a, it's, a, it's hard to pick. Uh, it's a tremendous cast. Um, Jane Alexander, multiple Tony winner, James Cromwell, Michael Urey, um, Ashley Park. It's, it's a phenomenal cast. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, I haven't ever been on Broadway, like, mm -hmm. you, like you said, um, but I have done theater and I grew up doing theater. And so it's nice to, um, to, um, to be here in New York, living here, and be able to participate in, you know, the oldest institution that we have here oh. in our, uh, our, our American theatrical tradition. For sure. Have you reached out to any friends for advice on your first time for, for being on Broadway? Uh, you know, it happened like two days ago, so not quite yet, <laughs> but, uh, but soon, yes. Yeah, Come on, Ben. I've you got a long call list. All the answers right yes, now. Yes, help, help. I just texted help. Is there anyone that you're looking to for some advice? Yeah, of course. I mean, I have many friends who have have been on Broadway, so I'll certainly uh, pick their brains. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'll lean on the cast and just ask them. For sure. For sure. Well, congratulations on everything. The new thank Broadway you. show, the new movie, lots going on with you. And thanks for being here today. Um, well, thanks. Uh, ooh, make sure you catch Ben in Line of Duty, in select theaters on demand and on demand tomorrow. Up next, Alex speaks with, to Alicia, Alicia Menendez about her new book, The Likeability Trap. Woo! The likability trap validated realities I'd felt were often projected insecurities, anxieties I'd crafted and been gaslighted into believing were in my head. Easily devoured, Alicia's book is exposing and honest in wit and empowerment. Buy it, gift it, read it, you won't regret it. And here with me now is MSNBC anchor, host of the Latina to Latina podcast, and the author of The Likeability Trap, Alicia Menendez. Welcome. Krista, what a booster. Yeah, it's for real, That's how right? how sell books. Yeah, exactly. So um, in this book, you put into words um, something that is endlessly frustrating to me, likeability. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, tell me about the genesis for writing this. I'm a person who cares a lot about being well-liked, and so originally I imagined myself writing sort of an eat, pray, love for likability, where I would just like <laughs> learn to let it go. And what I learned talking with other women is that even those who don't give a damn mm. pay a price for being themselves at work. And so I started to explore that tension, and that became more interesting to me than the idea of just letting go. Mm. Well, something that's so interesting to me is that though this is so universal for women, it is still taboo. Why do you think that is? Well, because it sounds like a silly thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like it sounds like a thing that you just shouldn't care about when in reality, likability and who we perceive as being likable has huge consequences. It comes up for women when they negotiate. It comes up in hiring. It comes up in our presidential elections mm -hmm. when you talk about who's worthy of power and agency. So it sounds like this thing that shouldn't be important. And in reality, it's forming the basis of so many decisions that we make in our day-to-day -day lives. Mm. Well, one of the things uh, I appreciate in your book is that you pull back so many different layers of likability. And you also talk about uh, likability for women of color uh, specifically. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, 
Women tend to get, overall, just a ton of critical subjective feedback, which means that people talk to us about our style all the time and it's an interpretation. For women generally, that means you're either told you're too much, too assertive, too comfortable with confrontation, mm -hmm. yes, or you're told that you're too warm, that you don't take up enough oxygen, you don't take up enough space, and all of those are about the expectations we have around gender and women and communality and what we expect of leaders, which is the ability to assert yourself. For women of color, you then add on a whole other dimension, which is that black women who are assertive are read as aggressive and angry. They pay a real price for that in the workplace. Latinas like myself, two different stereotypes, either so meek that nobody takes us seriously or so hot-blooded and irrational that we can't possibly lead. And then Asian American women often penalized for the sense that they are unfairly competent. Mm. Um, and seen very often because there's an expectation that they will act in a subordinate way when they do actually try to lead, they're punished for that. Mm. Was there anything you found that surprised you while you were doing the research for this? There was a ton of things I found that surprised me. You know, I think a lot of people wanted this to be a parenting book, wanted to believe yeah. that if you could just like raise girls to not give a damn, that that would be the answer. And I was raised by someone who wasn't governed by this. And I found that kept popping up and again and again. Oh. It was almost as though this is a gene that skips a generation. Interesting. Like, you know, you see, I think part of what it is, and this is, you know, totally anecdotal, is that you see the the price that a person pays for caring, or you see the price in, that a person pays for not caring, and you try to flip it, only to learn that you're gonna get stuck in it either way. I feel like the biggest thing, I'm just like, you can't win when it comes to this. Right. Yeah. And I think so much of the lady in the workplace literature that you, as an ambitious yeah. woman, have read and I have read, sort of gives you these two options, which is you can either make all of these style modifications, and we're promised that if we do that, we might be able to thrive. Mm. We're not. We're able to survive in a best-case scenario. Or you're told to let it go, which presumes two things. One, that letting go is just this one-time choice that you make, and it's a passive thing, when in reality, letting go is a very active process. And it also presumes that you're walking into a workplace where it's totally okay for you to be yourself and there aren't going to be consequences for that, right? Mm. So I'm offering a third way, which is that we need to push back against this idea of what makes a likable leader mm. and create a more expansive definition that includes all of us. Because while I focused on women, because mm. there's such a pressure for women to mm. care about this, there's also only one way for men to lead, right? There's a very narrow mm. way that we allow men to lead. They're not allowed to be sad in a workplace without mm -hmm. suffering a tremendous consequence. So mm -hmm. overall, I think we would all benefit if there were a broader definition. Mm -hmm. Well, something that I appreciated is that uh, you come at this approach uh, as, as a journalist yourself, and you talk about um, towing the line between having a public brand and then also being your authentic self. So what are some of the, the challenges there? Um, what are some considerations that you are now taking uh, now having written this? One of the things that was I thought about was the fact that this is all happening against the backdrop of the fact that like you're a public person because you're on AM to DM, I'm a public person because I'm an on-air journalist, but more and more people are public people. Yeah. Like there's this weird now if you have an Instagram account that is public facing and you have a Twitter account, surprise, you're a public person and that can actually make it feel like your likability is quantifiable. Interesting. I mean, that's gonna change perhaps with like with Instagram getting rid of likes yeah. and, it, and that may actually be a good thing for our psyche. Um, but it, creates the sense that not only in my daily interactions with you as Alex who works in the office and doesn't want to fix the printer, but in my interactions- Definitely don't want to do no, that. No, <laughs> you don't. But I, like, I know a lot about you and your personal life from following you on Instagram, mm. and I have this whole sense of who you are and what your life is like and whether or not I like that person. Mm. Spoiler alert, I do. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> um, but that person, because I know you, is, is a little different than who you are in your day to day, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. a hyped up, reimagined, two dimensional version of a person who in reality is much more complicated than that. Mm. One of the things that you uh, uh, mentioned earlier is the 2020 election is politics. So we especially see this play out. Um, you know, how are we seeing, I guess, the appetite for authenticity play out on the trail? Um, and then also tip the scales into the question of, you know, especially if women candidates are likable. There was a recent poll out from New York Times Upshot and Siena College, and one of the top lines was that Biden's supporters who don't support Elizabeth Warren, 41% of them agreed with the statement that women candidates generally running for president are unlikable. So what that tells you is a lot about our sense of whether or not women should strive to have power. What I find so funny about that is that most women run for office because of communality, because they want their community to do better. But because it's your name at the top of the ticket, it really seems like a singular act. Mm. And so just announcing your candidacy immediately makes a woman less likable before you get to anything else. And part of what makes likability so complicated is that it's hard to argue with, right? Mm -hmm. It's wildly subjective. But if you say to me, I don't like someone, it's hard for me to move you off that point. Mm. Something I really appreciate is that you uh, also offer kind of guidances for how women should be measured in the workplace, like the kind of feedback that they should get, um, the compared to who, you know, when women yes. are getting feedback. Yes. Um, are there concrete things that, uh, you know, uh, women uh, can do to navigate uh, these traps? Um, and what are things that actually managers can do too? So thank you for that because that is, the most important thing that anybody can take away from this. Mm. What you referenced was a piece of information that I got from Katerina Kostula. She's mm. an executive coach. And she says that if you're in a feedback session and someone says to you, Alex, you're just too assertive, that you ask compared to whom, which gives the person who's giving you that assessment an opportunity to think about whether or not they would say that about someone else in mm. the office. The second piece of advice she gives, and I think this is really useful, is to say, can you draw a line for me between my style and the outcome of my results? Mm. Like whether or not there actually is a connection between my style and my work product. In general though, I think that we have to be very mindful about language. And this is all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are things that I have always done that I have thought of as compliments, such as calling a woman helpful. But Catalyst, which does all of this great research around women and work, talk about the fact that if you call a woman helpful, it limits her to a helper capacity. So it's more beneficial to her to say, this is what she contributed specifically to the project. Mm. Because if you call her help, I don't know if she got the coffees or if she crunched all the numbers. Right, yeah, I love that there is just like a concrete takeaway here. So um, you of course also have the Latina to Latina podcast. You are um, starting soon at MSNBC mm -hmm. as an anchor. How do you take the things that, you, that you've learned here and um, integrate them into your own life? Let me tell you, if you're a person who cares about being well-liked, writing a book about likability is its own weird... I mean, I can only yeah, imagine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, I, I, here are the things I learned from writing the book. One, I think of everything as an individual issue. In reality, this is a systems issue, and I think the less that you think that it's your responsibility for creating these problems or for solving them, just the more you feel unburdened. Also, if you're gonna have to deal with all of this at work, why in your real life, your life life, would you wanna contend with this? Yeah. I've narrowed my circle of friends uh, significantly to be people who I feel I can be fully myself with, fully show up with. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with the word no. Um, and I think for mm. all of us in general, it is worth thinking about the fact work will always require an element of performance. Mm. So why then in the rest of your life would you want to be anyone other than yourself? Well, I think that is the perfect note to end this off. So Alicia, thank you so much for I joining you. Thank you. So chatting with you. And The Likeability Trap is available online and in stores now. Up next, more AM to DM.
show. It was so fun. Yeah. There was a lot of laughing, kicking, and there's also been a lot of behind the scenes, like people hugging and touching each other, which is great. In consensual good ways, like people I mean, very happy good. to see each other. Um, seeing you and Alicia, uh, yeah. that took me back to when I used to be a guest on HuffPost Live and you all were hosting and producing and creating all this yeah. content. Just yeah. amazing to see yeah. people keep thriving. I mean, I, I literally want to like scream the message of her book um, from the rooftops just because, yeah. I, you know, I feel like I am always thinking about all those things very intentionally, but mm -hmm. like I, I just want more people to know and understand that like this is what's going on. Yeah. So yeah. It's important. Alex yeah. is very passionate about this book. I'm very passionate. <laughs> all right. Well, in response to our conversation with Jeff Garland, Sanka Filipovich, my friend Sanka tweeted, Oh my God, this just made my morning. Curb is back. Love you, Sanka. That's so sweet. You guys together, the, a ride. Also, this is from another one of my besties. Oh my God, all your <laughs> friends. Oh my God, Anita. I know Anita. You oh also my God. Know. Yeah. Here's a tweet from Anita Dolce Vita. Yes, Alex Berg is on fire, interviewing all my comic faves lately. Jeff Garland and Hassan uh, Hajj. More, more, more. Please also eat all the donuts. Amen. Oh you know, my gosh. Well, I'm people, so glad more than just my dad. Is watching other today, people watch. So. Sometimes it's we do joke me. about that. Like, <laughs> we do, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's our show for our parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was uh, really fun. I mean, Jeff Garland totally went off the rails, and I was like, you know what? Let's sometimes, go with it. Sometimes so. you need that for a Friday Eve. Yeah. Because y'all forgot tomorrow's Friday. Whoop, whoop. But we'll see you guys then. <laughs> Thank you to our guests Bob McLeod, Katia Goba, Alicia Menendez, Ben McKenzie, Jeff Garland, Jeff Jerry O'Connell, and Alfonso Rivero. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. with more AMPDM. Have a great rest of your day.